buckle up, buttercup, because we're about to do a Q&A show. You get to ask me whatever question you want. It all happens over at lunduke.locals.com. So if, you don't, if you're not over there, you didn't get to ask me any questions this time. Don't worry. We'll do more of these later. It's okay. No, never fear, buddy. Just go on over to lunduke.locals.com uh, or go to lunduke.com and you'll get a big list of all the different links and whatnot in the Lunduke Journal universe. And you can go ahead and subscribe over there and, and get all the video versions of the podcasts and all of the articles I put out and the comic strips and the, the community stuff. It's basically like where I live on the internet. It's, it's fantastic. It's like my YouTube, my Twitter, my iTunes, my everything all rolled into one over lunduke.locals.com. So go over there, subscribe, at least, at the very least, get a free subscription. Like if you don't want to pay me money, I get it. I get it. Money, money is money, right? You don't want to give money away. Don't give away the money, but just go get a free subscription. That way you don't miss out when new articles and whatnot roll out because uh, there's a lot of articles that have come out recently and there's a lot more coming and you're not going to want to miss them because people are going to be talking about them and people are going to be yelling at me about them because people like to yell at me on the internet <laughs> or yell about me on the internet more, <laughs> more to the point. Um, all right. But you guys get to ask me a bunch of questions. I'm sorting by likes. So over here on this post where I asked to ask questions, I, there's a whole mountain of them here. I'm just going to go from the most popular comments to the least popular. And I'm just going to go until we run out of time. So if this sucks, if this is a terrible show, it's all your fault. <laughs> the first, the first, the first one came in from, uh, from John. John says, Hey, did you ever meet McAfee or, uh, or McAfee or Norton? I never met Peter Norton. I mean, he's still alive, but I've never, I've never talked to Peter Norton in any way. No emails, no, um, bumping into him at a conference, nothing would be really cool. I used to work with a guy who worked for Symantec, um, which, you know, bought up all the, all the Norton stuff. Um, but, uh, no, I never, I never, I never did. Uh, I, I would, I, I would, I would love to, man. He's, he's an absolute, absolute legend, absolute legend. Uh, I mean, uh, there's the antivirus world, <laughs> is, you know, there's a lot of not that great antivirus and Symantec over the years made some software that isn't 100% awesome, but Peter Norton and Norton Computing, uh, the early Norton stuff, was pretty rad. The original Norton Utilities and 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 all that stuff was, was pretty awesome. I have, uh, in fact, I regularly install my Norton Utilities on DOS uh, just because I, I love having them around there, uh, the text editor and file manager and all that sort of thing. Uh, the Norton stuff is just fantastic. Now, John, John McAfee, I, I have talked to via email a couple of times uh, before he passed away, uh, obviously, because you can't email someone after they die. Um, we, we talked first when he was running for president. Yeah, because he ran for president for a little while. Put out some really ridiculous presidential commercials, like running for president. It was really ridiculous. Um, I wrote an article way back when. Um, this was a long time ago, it seems like. Uh, where I was comparing 
I was it wasn't so much a political political article like making a political point. I was just giving people a list for Network World of the four top or five top. I think I had political candidates and what their stances were on various computing issues like open source in government and uh, right to privacy issues and encryption issues and those sorts of things. So I just wanted to provide a list of people who were, if you were a voter who was going to be interested in voting based on the technology stance of of the candidate, here's a list, right? Um, Because a lot of that information was kind of hard to find. So I reached out to all of the campaigns back then. Um, That was was Hillary Clinton, uh, Donald Trump, uh, John McAfee, uh, John McAfee, uh, I always say his name, <laughs> I always say his name wrong. Um, uh, I, I can't remember the other, I can't, I can't remember the libertarian and green, green candidates at, at the moment for that year. Um, but anyway, I reached out to all of them and, uh, to all, in all cases, um, it, I was underwhelmed by the responses, but, but John eventually got back to me with, um, a whole lot of detail eventually. And uh, we talked about it for a little while. We went back and forth and then uh, we kind of kind of lost track of each other for a little bit. And then uh, some crazy stuff was happening with him because he's in the news again and he was putting out weird videos again. And so I got a hold of him and we started talking and we, we decided we would do an interview. He would come on my show and um, we were going to not talk about any of the stuff that was in the news, right? Not talk about his crazy troubles, not talk about any of that stuff. We were going to just have, we weren't even going to mention it, right? We were going to just talk about it like um, he was just a nerd and I was just a nerd. And we were going to talk about like like 1980s video games and um, what operating systems are better, DOS or Macintosh or, you know, things like that. And we just decided that would be fun to do. Um, And then I lost track of him. Uh, He kind of stopped responding to emails and uh, didn't didn't hear anything for a while. And uh, I thought he got busy. I thought he kind of ghosted me. And it turns out, I learned very quickly later that that was that was when he was was picked up and this prison thing and 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 then uh, and then he and he was killed in prison. Um, so we never we never got to to have the chat and that would have been really cool. I, I was really bummed out that I never got to have that chat. Um, and I was really bummed out when I when I learned that uh, that he died there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I never met, I never met John, not in person. Uh, we never, we never talked on the phone or anything. We just exchanged some emails and, uh, he was really nice. He was nice. Uh, he was kind. Uh, he was generous with his time answering all sorts of questions for me. Uh, he seemed really cool. Um, I mean, I mean, he's clearly, you know, he was clearly a, a heck of a character. Um, and so, uh, I, I feel like the world's a little worse off for not having him around. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I never got to meet John. Um, would love to meet Peter, though. Would love to meet Peter Norton. That would be really cool. Uh, MG Attic says, I know you don't run Windows. What OS does your wife and kids run? If it's Linux, how do you manage it? Uh, for example, do you make sure your kids aren't destroying it with garbage? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's all over the map. Um, we don't have any Macs in, in my house. We're no, no Macintoshes. Um, uh, my wife 
has a laptop that she almost never uses. Um, she just doesn't. Uh, she has a laptop. It is running, It is. I think it's a dual boot Linux and Windows laptop, but she doesn't really use it. I don't think she's turned it on in four or five months. Um, she mostly uses a smartphone. She has an Android smartphone and that's what she uses for all of her computing. That's just... That's just what she does because it's, it's easier, you know, when you're when you're a mom and you've got a thousand things going on, it's being able to do all of your email and everything from a little handheld is just so much more convenient that that's just what she's standardized on. Um, the kids, we've got uh, two laptops that they regularly use. One of them is just a regular Linux laptop, uh, Debian. Uh, the other one is a Chromebook. Um, it's a, a somewhat out of date Chromebook at that. And they mostly use those for, you know, web conferencing with like remote teachers and, uh, and, and some of their tutors, like they have a language, a French language tutor that they, they chat with via on, on their Chromebook regularly. Um, and then, um, we, we use a lot of DOS box because they play a lot of things like Reader Rabbit and Math Blaster and, and a lot of old, especially my younger kids, a lot of older DOS educational titles. Uh, Mavis Beacon teaches typing, all those sorts of things from, from the DOS days. And, uh, and we have little batch files set up that they, I've talked about it in the past, where, where they can go and choose from a menu, but you know, then they can, they can learn how to navigate their, their C prompt to, to launch any other game they want as well. Um, I, I, I don't generally like to give my kids much in the way of unfettered access to internet-related stuff. I try and keep that all pretty pretty well locked down, um, just just because I don't I don't I, it's it's not good for people. It's not good for kids to be on the internet all that much. The internet is not a not a kid-friendly thing, and so. Anything that's very kid internet related, like the Chromebooks, we, I really kind of closely monitor that usage and really lock it down pretty hard. Um, so like right now, um, the kids don't have unfettered 24-7 access to a computer that they can just sit down and use for whatever they want, which I think is kind of a bummer. Um, I think going forward... Um, sometime over the coming months, I will probably set the kids up with a family computer and that family computer will not have internet access at all. That family computer will just be a completely offline computing experience. I haven't decided what it'll be. Maybe an old Mac, maybe an older Windows machine, maybe an old DOS machine, maybe an Amiga. I I don't really know yet. Um, But something that we can have a lot of the educational titles on. So it'll probably be... I don't know, DOS and Windows, maybe a Windows 98 machine, uh, maybe Windows 2000, I, I don't know, maybe even OS 2, but something that they can play a lot of the educational titles, they can play Oregon Trail and teach us typing and, and all the math blasters, and as well as word processors for doing writing reports up and all this sort of thing, but where the kids can have full access to it, I can easily mirror it and image it so I can restore an image quickly so that if they screw it up, it's okay. So they can experiment, but so that they, they, they don't have any internet access. So I don't have to worry about watching them on it. 
if they screw everything up on it, okay, I'll just re-image like the little flash card or something like that that I have on like a flash to IDE adapter for the hard drive or something. Um, but I don't have to worry about locking it down in case they go on the internet and, you know, do internet things that kids shouldn't be doing, right? Because internet. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I manage it currently and what I'm planning to do going forward. Um, oh, uh, uh, Rico says, maybe you could release the MS-DOS batch file menu for subscribers that, that you mentioned in, in a previous episode. Um, you know what? I'll just post it. Uh, <laughs> I'll just copy and paste some of the batch files I've created. I have a whole bunch of them, like uh, hundreds of them probably over the years that I've kind of tweaked and, and done. They're real simple, real easy. Uh, but I'll, I'll just post the batch files over on Locals. I'll, I'll, I'll do that maybe today or tomorrow. I'll just, I'll just copy and paste and dump it into a locals post and you guys can just do whatever you want with it um not like there's not a million batch files that you know do the exact same thing out there in the internet but why not why not i'll toss one out there so you can see how i do it um uh the Riker maneuver asks do you have any stories about viruses or malware late 90s early 2000s or a bit of wild west for windows cybersecurity? curious what that looked like from the inside oh man um one that comes to mind that really wasn't all that exciting internally at Microsoft, but I, I want to say, oh man, I'm doing this all from memory. So feel free to look this up. Melissa, Mo, was it Melissa around 99, 2000, 2001? Is that about right? Around, right around 2000? Um, Melissa, if memory serves, Melissa was a virus that... Um, used uh, the scriptability, right? So basically used like VBA, like Windows scripting stuff uh, to use Microsoft Outlook. What it would do is you'd, you'd get it and you'd open it. Uh, you open the email with Melissa in it and it would, because it would say something like, you know, I can't remember, like you got to see this or something like that. And I want to say it attached a spreadsheet. Was it a spreadsheet that Melissa attached where it had like, a list of links to adult websites, something like that. And then it resent that, that same email with that same attachment to like 50, 100, something like that of your contacts in, in your Microsoft Outlook, Outlook address book. Um, so I was in Microsoft at the time when Melissa hit. And I got a couple of those, right? So like I got a couple of, a few Microsoft people sent me those. You know, it wasn't them that sent it. It was the virus that sent it, right? But then it stopped. And then about, um, and then we started talking about it internally, but it wasn't spreading around internally. And then, and then some hours later, uh, everyone in the company got an email um, from, uh, what was the help desk? It was the, the IT support team. I can't remember. They had a, they had a name. Uh, for them within Microsoft back then for that team. But anyway, they emailed everyone and they're like, they've, they basically blocked it at the server side. So those emails couldn't go around. I don't know if they just blocked like the title or the contents or something about it, but they found a way to just block it on the server. But I remember when that was hitting, people were scrambling um, to make sure that we weren't infected with it and make sure that um, our build machines weren't infected with it and to make sure our test machines weren't infected with it because what we would do back then is, um, so we had, we had our build machines, but our build machines were not sanitary. Like, 
I know they should have been, but like they were not necessarily like in a clean room, right? Um, when we, we we tested and scanned everything, right? So like we, we ran virus scanners on everything all the time. But like you could just go and if you had the permissions, you could just mount the file server that um, that it, the, the build machines pulled from for building you know, Windows Media Player or Outlook Express or whatever you were working on, right? I mean, it varied from team to team, but it really wasn't wasn't that locked down. Um, and so we were really worried that 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 virus, among a couple others, were were going to be everywhere. So we, man. We we like scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed and and uh, the IT team was went through and like blocked those emails all from the server side of things and we were really worried that we were going to accidentally release something that had some viruses in it like that was a major major bit of paranoia so I I distinctly remember running virus scans everywhere. <laughs> I mean, everywhere. It was ridiculous. Um, I know it's not not that crazy of a story, really. I mean, it's just common sense. But but yeah, back then, man, virus scanning. Virus scanning was critical. Um, ooh, Sol asks: Is the TRS eighty model one hundred or one hundred two that little slab top computer your favorite Tandy Radio Shack computer? If not. What is and why? If so, tell us again how great they were. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, the, so the TRS-80 Model 100 and that whole line, the 100, the 102, and the 200. The 200 was the same as with the 100, basically, except it was more of a laptop because it had a little fold-up screen and everything instead of the slab model. Why I love those machines is because they were so unique. They were really interesting, and they pulled off a huge amount of functionality in a tremendously small amount of power, very little RAM. It, not a, it didn't just have a basic interpreter. It had a file manager and launcher. It had a text editor. It had like a multi-line nice text editor. I mean, it was it was decent. A full communications program that you could use with a modem. I mean, it had a lot to it. I mean, you could do you could do a ton with this thing. And I I just really love it. I I'm a sucker for any sort of computer that you can run on AA batteries. I mean, if you can stick a couple of AA batteries and run a computer for 30 hours plus of runtime, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, that's awesome, right? I mean, it, this wasn't the only machine out there that did that. The TRS-80 Model 100 series, they did that great. Um, uh, the Newton E-Mate, uh, the E-Mate 300 ran on, ran on uh, AA's. Um, uh, those little HP LX palm tops ran on double A's. Uh, I think the Stacy ran on double A's. Like there was, there was a lot of different laptops and palm tops and whatnot that you could get that ran on just removable batteries, oftentimes double A's. And that's so cool. What's amazing is how much, how much amazing battery life you get out of those out of those just little chintzy double A batteries that don't last hardly at all. And this is at a time. When you could you could load up a, a Sega Game Gear or an Atari Lynx with your batteries, a ton of batteries, and it'll last like four hours. But you load up these laptops from years earlier, and you can use it 
for literally the entire day and most of the next day without sleeping and just using it constantly off of just a couple double A's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Keep some rechargeable double A's around and you are good to go for life with those things. I mean, it's still, still nowadays with some significant advancements in like the current Macintosh line and whatnot where we're seeing really good battery life. I mean, the current Mac laptops, the battery life is really impressive. We're still nowhere near the impressive battery life that we got off of double A powered laptops in the 1980s and early 90s. For real. And those were removable batteries that you could use off the shelf. You can pick them up at at your local Walmart or Fred Meyers or whatever, Tesco or whatever grocery store you go to that has double A's. And nowadays, you can't even remove your battery. Forget it being proprietary or not. You can't remove it because your laptop case is glued shut. It's ridiculous. So yeah, the TRS-80 Model 100 is my favorite. Look, the, 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 the whole Trash 80 and the color computer, the Cocoa line, those are all really good machines. Um, the, the later Tandy machines that shipped with uh, um, just, uh, what, why, why am I, I'm having a total brain meltdown here. Live show, no editing. <laughs> anyway, the later Tandy machines were great. The ones that you could play, you know, a little bit more modern, like early Space Quest games and whatnot on them, the more the more DOSy compatibly ones. Those were great too. But for my money, and, and the and the little tiny, the little tiny Radio Shack ones, like the little palm top size ones that just look like wide widescreen calculators that you had a little DOS interpreter on. Those were cool too. But the Trash eighty model one hundred line, those were really cool. Those were really special. Um, you know, uh, those are just really special. I love those machines. Uh, Ram Pilot asks, nerd versus geek. I am probably in the minority, but I prefer the term geek over nerd. Maybe it was because the movie Revenge of the Nerds traumatized me by their looks and mannerisms. I know Brian likes to throw around nerdy, but can anyone stand up for geeks? Geeks around the world unite. Okay. I'm more of a nerd. I prefer nerd over geek. Um, Geek to me, I'm just going to give you my personal feelings on nerd versus geek. Geek nowadays, we're talking about geeking out about a thing, right? Like you can be a Star Wars geek, right? Like or a political geek or a math geek or a chess geek or um, or a... uh, a One Tree Hill geek, <laughs> right? A Gilmore Girls geek. You could be a Gilmore Girls geek, but that wouldn't make you a nerd, right? A nerd is a state of being. A nerd is a type of person that you are, right? Like, yeah, am I a Star Wars geek? Yeah. Am I a Star Trek geek? Yeah. I am. Absolutely. And so calling me a geek about a variety of things, am I, am I a political geek? Yes, I am. I find it interesting. There's a lot of things. Am I a, am I a, uh, a Cajun food geek? Well, I'm becoming one. <laughs> but I'm also a nerd. And a nerd is a nerd, right? A nerd is a type of a person. And I know many people who are Linux geeks and computer geeks and whatnot that would not consider themselves nerds. And you know what? Maybe I don't consider them a nerd either. But I consider myself a nerd. It is part of, a, is part of a, my personal identity. 
It just is. And, you know, and maybe perhaps a lot for the same reason you don't consider yourself a nerd. Movies like Revenge of the Nerd and Revenge of the Nerds, Real Genius and, and War Games and so many other movies and TV shows from that era cemented within me um, a, a sort of a self-identity uh, of nerdiness. Um, it, I mean, it just it just it clicked. It was what I was interested in. It was how my brain worked. It was how I thought about things. I felt nerdy. And when I see, when I go to conventions and I see other nerds, when I meet other nerds in school or in the workplace, uh, well, in school back then, when I watched movies like Revenge of the Nerds, I mean, honestly, I understood. Like... I identified with some of those guys from Revenge of the Nerds. I mean, yeah. Did they look ridiculous? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. But, like, I... There was a couple of them, man, I, I kind of identified with. Like, I... Like, the way their brains worked and the jokes they made and the things that... They, the way they approached things, I, I kind of understood it. Now, Revenge of the Nerds is not like some sort of end-all, be-all of biographical historical studies of actual nerddom. I mean, heck, some of the things they did weren't even all that really nerdy. It was just just a bit of a, you know, a, a 1980s kind of raunchy comedy, right? But there, there was enough there that, you know, I, I kind of saw that. And so, yeah, you know, I, I, I am more of a nerd and I, I identify with nerddom and I, um, that's just, that's just how I feel. Um, there's nothing wrong with geek. Um, and then I know there's a lot of definitions of geek. What is it like biting the head off of chickens or something like that? Look that one up. It's weird. Um, but I view geek as more of a specific individual thing that you geek out about, that you're super into, that you just can't get enough of and you get excited about, which is cool. But nerd is more of a general purpose, right? Like you can be geeking out about things without being a nerd. And, but I don't know that you can be a nerd and not geek out about some things. Does that make sense? Um, here we go. Let's see. What else we got? Uh, Scott says, talk about keyboards. <laughs> What is your what is your favorite keyboard ever? What do you use now? And are, are there any stinkers you've been stuck with? Oh, favorite keyboards ever. I'll just lay it out for you. We're gonna we're gonna put the whole IBM Model M thing off to the side for a minute because yes, great keyboard. Yes, I had one for many years. Great, great keyboard. Put that off to the side because that's a, that's like a gold standard in a lot of ways. There were two keyboards that. Uh, are not made anymore that I think were truly, truly remarkable. And one was from Microsoft, the first Microsoft natural keyboard. A big white keyboard split in the middle. Uh, it's, you know, still one piece, but it's just elongated in the middle so that your hands turn at, a, at an angle instead of being like this, it turned like this a little bit. And uh, it was fantastic. And uh, now they, they came out with later ones, you know, USB model ones. But I'm talking about the, the first one, um, a PS2 keyboard. It, it was not covered with all sorts of internet-y buttons. It was a very simple keyboard. It had a few extra buttons, but it was not covered with the buttons like later, later Microsoft Natural and Ergo keyboards were. Um, but the, the keyboard had, the keys had good feel to it. <clears throat> it wasn't 
It wasn't, you know, uh, a Model M in terms of those clickety switches, but it was good. And it just had a really good feel to it. I used those keyboards almost predominantly on my DOS and Windows machines for several years. I liked them a great deal. I still do. I uh, still do some of my favorite DOS and Windows uh, keyboards. In fact, if, if I had, if all of my Linuxy machines still had PS2 ports on them, I, I would still hunt down the original, the very first Microsoft Natural keyboards because I think they were fantastic. The other keyboard that I really like came from Apple, and I believe it was the uh, the the Apple Pro 2 line. Uh, is that what it was? I'm going to make sure I get this name right for you. Apple Pro 2 keyboard. Make sure I get the name for you right. Um, mm -mm, that's not it at all. I just told you the wrong thing. Um, here we go. Uh, the Apple Extended Keyboard 2. That's it. <clears throat> not pro apple extended keyboard 2 it's an apple desktop bus keyboard um uh adb keyboard which is like the apple equivalent of a ps2 port sort sort of not quite a little bit more but enough for this this discussion um pre usb and it was it had a good look to it um it was nice and extended had the 10 keypad the keys had a great feel to it that a good click not overbearing not too loud but enough to make you feel satisfying um they had a good amount of travel to them it just had a good feel to them it was it was a great keyboard to use in fact that might be my favorite keyboard ever the Apple Extended Keyboard 2. I've got one in good working condition and one that's pretty much busted. But my good working condition one that I hook up to my uh, uh, my uh, Power Mac 6100, which is still sitting in storage right now, so far from me. One day I'll get it back and I'll be able to use it again. But I could write articles on that all day long. Uh, I can I can't think of a of a better of a better keyboard right now off the top of my head it's it's my it's my absolute favorite i i highly highly recommend it so it's so choice uh those are my favorites um ross asks other than a computer what were some of your favorite toys either from when we were kids from your kids now or in the sense of anything you play with is a toy um as a kid as a kid gosh um i you know I think Transformers were pretty big for me. Uh, Gen 1 Transformers in the 1980s, I, I really enjoyed. I, I thought they were just fantastic. I also really liked the early Micro Machines. You know, early Micro Machines from Gloob were, you know, super tiny little cars, uh, sometimes super tiny little planes and fighters and, you know, motorcycles and all sorts of things, but mostly cars. And they were tiny and little die-cast cars. And uh, they were just tons of fun. Uh, I liked them because they were small and I could I could fit them all in a little tiny like little baggie. Like I had a little marble bag. I put a lot of my uh, micro machines in so I could bring them with me anywhere. And it was just, they were they were fantastic little toys. I love those. They, they kind of brought micro machines back in later years, but they were just more plasticky and not quite as cool. But I remember, I remember just geeking out over uh, what new lines of micro machines would come out because they came out with uh, little fighter plane ones uh, that were just like little jet fighter planes. They came out with uh, a motorcycle one. 
I remember thinking the motorcycle ones were super cool because they're even smaller than cars, right? They were just super little tiny ones. I thought those were really neat. And I remember getting really excited about like new lines of micro machines coming out. They weren't terribly expensive. So it was approachable, right? Um, which was good because, you know, we didn't have a ton of money when I was a kid. You know, we weren't, we weren't rich or anything like that. We were, you know, we were making it, but we didn't have a ton of money to spare on toys. And I certainly didn't have, uh, you know, a, a bunch of money in my, my piggy bank. But micro machines were somewhat affordable by comparison. Um, I also was really big into baseball cards, um, again, though, that was a, that was a difficult one because I, while I could, I could go and buy a pack of baseball cards on occasion, uh, really getting into it and picking up, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, older baseball cards and whatnot was kind of out of the question for me. I, I did manage to get in a couple of good trades cause I got lucky a few years where I got, you know, we get a, this rookie card or that rookie card in a various pack. And then a few years later, that card would go up in value. I'd get the Beckett's guide, which were the, you know, the big Holy Bibles of, of what cards are worth in any given year and, um, and would get a good trade for an older one. And so I'd get some of my older, uh, players that I was a big fan of. I was always a big Sandy Koufax fan and things like that. Anyway, so I, I liked collecting baseball cards. I still do. Um, it's not something I've done much of in the last decade or so, but I still have my baseball card and my, my coin collection and all that sort of thing. And, and I, li- I, like, I like to collect old stuff. Uh, I, just, I just do. I like old stuff. I like memorabilia and, and, uh, and, and pulp nostalgia. I just enjoy all of that stuff. It's just, just a lot of fun. But otherwise, Transformers and Micro Machines. Um, Oh, we just did some cleaning, Geek on Skate says, around the House of Geek, and I discovered something amazing. A humongous ancient laptop with Windows XP badges all over it. It has an Intel Pentium 4 processor, a floppy drive, a DVD drive, a Linksys wireless, quote, notebook adapter, which he describes as a big honking card that went into a slot. I have no idea how else to describe. It's probably a PCMCIA slot. Um, Not one, but two Ethernet ports. Nice. Two USB ports and no power supply figures <laughs> and the logo i have no idea what the heck it is screenshot attached any idea what this machine might be i want to see if i can track down a replacement power cord and see if it still works um so yes you have found and you fig- it looks like he figured it out but he found a gateway he found a gateway oh gateway computers man Oh, gateway computers were 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 crazy. The cow machines. They they made those cow themed uh, machines and whatnot. Fantastic. Bunch of people right now are going, "What the heck is he talking about?" The cow machine. Look up Gateway Two Thousand. There's cow themed machines. It's insane. Um, Dirt says, "If the keyboard and mouse is not the best user interface, what can replace it? Will we get thought control over our computers next?" Yeah. No keyboard. Yeah, I think I think having a pointing device is fantastic. But keyboard is where it's at. I mean, I I, I find getting rid of the keyboard to be it be an asinine effort. Uh, I think it's ridiculous. I've got these I've got this stupid little phone here. There's no there's no physical keyboard on it. Where where the frig is the physical keyboard? I get that it has an on-screen keyboard, but I want a physical keyboard. Physical keyboards are the end-all be-all of interfaces for a computer and anything that does computing that you type into is a computer, a smartphone. That's a computer, a PDA. That's a computer. Um, any of those sorts of things. That's a computer. 
If you don't have a keyboard on your computer, it's intentionally hobbled. End of story. That's just how I feel about that. Now, an on-screen keyboard, ah, gosh, like, here's, here's my thoughts. <laughs> my thoughts. Um, because keyboard is the end-all, be-all. Like, I love Palm Pilots, right? I love Palm OS devices. I do. I love them. The graffiti input system, while interesting and useful, it's not a keyboard. It's not a keyboard. The Palm OS PDAs that I like the most are the ones with a physical keyboard because physical keyboards are awesome. Uh, same with like the Newtons. The Apple Newton line is awesome. But the one I like the most is the E-Mate because it has a physical keyboard. Uh, the Windows CE PDAs, the ones I like the most are the the uh, the Palm Top style ones that have a physical keyboard. I, the, the Android phones that don't have a physical keyboard confuse the darnations out of me. I know a lot of you love to just a big old rectangle of screeniness, but it's just not my thing. I don't love it. I want a keyboard with clicking buttons. Even if the buttons don't click that much, just a little bit of clicking. That goes a long way. I, keyboards, man. Keyboards. If, if you have a great interface, it can be used entirely via the keyboard. That's That said... Having an additional pointing device, like a trackball, mouse, joystick, like a lot of the early machines you would use, or even a touchscreen, or either either capacitive or, or transistive, where you just you know tap on it or use a stylus, whatever. I think there's a place for all of that. That's all highly useful. Now, for me personally, after having spent so many years with touchscreens and the like, I would go so far as to say, yeah, keyboard and mouse. Either regular mouse or trackball, doesn't matter. Pointing device, single pointing device and a keyboard. That's all I need. That's it. That's all I need. Uh, unless we're talking about getting into gaming, in which case, well, certain types of gaming controllers, joysticks and the like, uh, it makes sense. It makes sense to add in. But no, no, no thought control. Don't do that. No, no eye control. No pure touch screens. No holographic manipulation. And, you know, Iron Man designing his suit by doing these sorts of hand motions in the air. That's no, 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 no. Keyboard mouse done that I, I I may be old school but that's how I roll that is just how I roll um Greg says uh, can you think of a way to make a home assistant work without the need for a monolithic five eyes corporate backend that surveils me every moment of the day let's blue sky a solution <laughs> using Linux, single board computers, and anything else we can think of. If you can imagine it, would you use it? Um, okay, this was, this was brought up by, by someone else, um, but there was for a time a solution to this called Mycroft. It has since not gone quite the way it was originally intended, but Mycroft was started as a as a self-contained you can throw it on a raspberry pi or just an old linux box or whatever solution for doing um voice dictation and home automation and all that stuff to be your home automation assistant offline right that was the whole goal eventually it started tying in online services the original people involved with the project kind of got forced out of the project and it just it, it didn't quite it didn't quite go the way that we wanted it to but there have been a number of projects 
um, is that have tried to go down this route. But ultimately, from what I've seen, they've all ended up, you know, using one of the many varied big, big tech corporate backends for doing some of the, the voice dictation work or the looking up of data and whatnot. So could we, though, could we wipe all that away and sit down with a, with a, a, a simple Linux-powered server, say a, a Pi or a banana or whatever, just a Linux server, come up with a way to do that in our home? And the answer is is yes. There's enough. There's enough components out there. There's a couple of voice dictation components. Um, there's there's quite a few local search engines, right? Like meaning like it'll index all of your files across your home network and then make it so that you can you can do a search on them. Tie those together. And then there's there's you know the the home automation tools. There's a couple of open source home automation hub projects. Tie all those three in together. Put some custom stuff on top of. Of it. And yeah, we could have a home assistant that worked completely offline, no internet connection required whatsoever. And in fact, you could make it so it was blocked. So the access to it couldn't couldn't occur through a, a firewall if you wanted it to be online. So yes, you could do it. And we could do it. No one's done it <clears throat> in a way that I like. No one's done it terribly effectively in a way that's actually appealing to me. So that, 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 that kind of brings me to your final question. If I can imagine it, and I can, would I use it? And I think the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I'm an old fuddy-duddy. I'm a bit of a stick in the mud. I'm a man who looks outside and I see a cloud and I just want to yell at it, you know? And so I don't know that I like change in that way. The idea is cool. The idea has merit to be able to say in a way where I'm not being spied on and all data is my own and my family's and that's it. Um, you know, uh, okay, computer, play, you know, play some uh, Barry Manilow music for me. And it kicks off some Barry Manilow and I get my groove on, you know. I, I appreciate that. Um, like, okay, computer, make a note. Uh, I need to download more Barry Manilow music. And then it makes a note. Could that work? Yes. Does that sound cool? Yes. But knowing what I think I, you, and most people watching and listening right now know about how buggy complex systems can get, and this would be an increasingly complex system, I don't know that I would necessarily trust it. I, I still want to just sit down and write a note. I still want to just sit down and write a list. For me personally, for me, the end-all be-all of this sort of thing is having a home file server for all my media, music, movies, pictures, notes, calendars, spreadsheets, everything, right? A home file server that I can access a, and then the ability to access it from a PDA, right? Pop open a Linux-powered PDA and take a note, it's saved my server. That I like. And then possibly even have a next cloud front end that, that gives me very restricted access to like say the notes and things like that. So in case I wanna be out and about and take a note, boop, boop, it's now sitting back in my home server. That I like. 
So Nextcloud sitting on top of a file server that is really restricted with a nice powerful firewall in front of it, that I like. That, that I think is about as powerful as I personally want to go. That's just kind of my, my, my thinking on that. But again, I'm, I'm an old fuddy-duddy. I, I yell at the clouds a lot. All right, all right. That brings us to the end. <clears throat> There's a bunch more questions. Did I even make it through half? I don't know that I did. Uh, maybe, maybe close. I don't know. Either way, uh, sorry if I didn't get to your questions. We'll do this again. We'll do these again maybe next week, maybe the week after. So uh, go on over to lunduke.locals.com. Make sure you sign up over there. So you, so when I ask for the questions, you guys are ready to boom and get in there and do it. Uh, I want to take this moment, though to say thank you to all of you for helping to make this community so amazing, for supporting the work that I do. I literally would, could not do this without you. Without, without all you guys, I would be a stodgy old executive sitting somewhere in a, in a, in a big tech company and, and my soul would have left my body years ago. So I really appreciate all of you. I appreciate, I love being able to wake up in the morning and read your posts over on Locals. I love seeing all your comments. I love I love hearing about the projects you guys are working on and, I, and the support that you give to me. It almost makes me tear up. Uh, I, I absolutely love all of you. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Hope you get to do something really, really nerdy today. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, nerds and nerdettes, I do declare, end podcast.